are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Contemporary Thought series and was recorded at CIMAD Director's Conference on Narratives of Legitimacy and the Maghreb State, Power, Law and Comparison, held on June 21, 2019 in Sidi Bousaid, Tunisia. In this episode, Dr. Larissa Shamiak, CIMAD Director, interviews Miriam Amri, PhD candidate of Anthropology and Middle Eastern Studies at Harvard University, about her paper entitled Making the Dinar, Producing the State in Postcolonial Tunisia. Your presentation today, Making the Dinar, Producing the State in Postcolonial Tunisia, is a part of your PhD dissertation project in anthropology. Can you tell us more about the project and how you became interested in it? Okay, so my project touches upon looking at money in the context of Tunisia and specifically looking at the ways in which money allow us to kind of frame relations of power in Tunisia since the independence. So more specifically, considering how monetary policies um, since the independence have transformed into social discourses. So starting from the idea of the creation of a currency and how that allows us to think about state power, sovereignty, but also moving towards kind of a more contemporary moment and considering how, for example, monetary policies about the inconvertibility of the dinar or policies around credit and debt allow us to think about forms of social control, forms of surveillance, ideas about confinement, for example, and how that helps us map relations of power, not between the state and citizen, but also across social classes, across historical time in the context of Tunisia. And consider and think more about the research project. I was looking previously more credit and debt, and especially at middle-class loans and kind of how that informed a broader political economy that started with international financial institution and then trickled down to the state and then trickled down to private banks. And there's obviously a good literature on it in the case of Tunisia. I'm thinking about the works of uh, Beatrice Ibu, for example, on kind of the idea of credits that are not reimbursed. And sort of I moved from that to thinking about how money informs forms of subjectivity, especially of kind of young men that are unable to access forms of money and especially unable to access credit and debt. And now I'm moving the project in between these two spheres. So thinking about the state, but also thinking about how kind of individuals are also policed, surveilled and subvert these types of monetary policies that occur at like a broader frame. A really interesting element of your presentation at our symposium was about sources and archives that you use in your project and your research. Can you tell us more about what kind of sources you have used and what insights these have produced for the project? So in the paper that I presented today and then in parts of my research, I looked at technical reports issued by state institutions. So I started considering central bank reports from the moment of the creation of the central bank. So kind of the first report is dated from 1959. And then in reading this report, I realized that these central bank reports were also referencing other state plans and that there was an entire literature 
on kind of thinking about the economy and producing an, a notion of a Tunisian economy after the independence that came from state and an other state institution like the the Ministry of Planning that came from the Central Bank and that kind of informed my research and I'm trying to think about these types of sources not just as kind of technical reports that produce their own reality but also as forms of archives that might get us into different modes of reading archival work in Tunisia, different ways to think about kind of a form of technicality that might inform different ways of reading these more seemingly technical reports beyond kind of the content that what they're saying, but rather as kind of documents that are circulating around the state, that carry their own ideological weight and that kind of become in the contemporary moment archives for the state to legitimize itself, but also kind of as researcher are trying to grapple with this period of the post-independence in Tunisia. This is a bit of a side question related to the archives, but are these reports publicly available or are they just in the archives of the central bank? So it's kind of interesting because the central bank has a different policies than other state institutions. So most of their annual reports and then their later reports from the 90s are digitized and are available publicly. Um, the other reports, so for example, I look at the Plan Triennal, which is a sort of three-year state plan from 1962 to 1964 in this kind of socialist moment that the Tunisian state was part of. And these reports are usually available kind of in different archives, but not digitized. And I know that there's a broader conversation in the state, but also a kind of in digitizing certain state archives and certain documents. One of the themes that you talked about today that figures strongly is austerity. So how does the long-durée discourse on austerity in Tunisia since its independence uh, figure into your work? As I was kind of reading these different archives, I was looking at how there were competing discourse of what the economy is and ought to be, but also on kind of the state intervention on specific economic practices. And you see from the 1960s onward that there is a sort of more socialist school of thought that really relies heavily on kind of a massive presence of the state and the economy through investment, through intervention, and then a sort of more liberal school that is very worried about monetary stability, and that is embodied in the central bank. It's The school of thought is worried about monetary stability, it's worried about excessive spending of the state, and worried about kind of the effect of state invent investment on inflation. And it's interesting that kind of we only think about monetary stability, the cons this anxiety around inflation and the idea of austerity in a broader sense is kind of something that occurs after the 80s and that is brought by international financial institution through structural adjustment plan and that kind of carries on to the contemporary moment. Uh, but in here you see that kind of the nature itself of a central bank is a nature that carries the ideology of austerity. And obviously this comes about, for example, in the case of Tunisia, in the fact that the bank was created through the help of international experts. So there is actually since the 50s and since the 60s a sort of broader ideology of monetary stability, of limiting inflation, and maybe a broader discourse about austerity that kind of takes a more long-durée approach than how we think about it. Also, what does the study of currency, sovereignty, and state-building 
Tell us about other such experiences comparatively. I think there is a there is a sort of emerging broader literature that is trying, for example, to think about a comparative approach between North Africa and West Africa, especially in the contemporary moment. So obviously this comes about a lot in the study of monetary sovereignty and in the fact that North African countries had a very different experience. I'm thinking about Algeria, Morocco and Tunisia after French colonization, as they kind of developed a sense of sovereignty through the establishment of a national currency, which is different from French West Africa, which kept a sort of common currency index to the French, so the franc, and that they had to develop the sort of sense of state sovereignty that came more from lending, from state intervention, and not necessarily from a sense of a national currency. And I think this is kind of, this relates to a sort of broader literature of thinking about kind of what are the ideological pillars of the nation state and of the idea of a nation. And I think the currency and the sense of a national currency, which is being dismantled more and more in the contemporary moment, thinking about the euro, but also kind of ideas about having an African currency, for example. This idea of a national currency becomes kind of important to map out the state and to map out the ways in which the state tries to assert its own authority in the post-colonial moment. How does the broader literature on money, which I believe is cross-disciplinary, inform your work on the case of Tunisia? So just kind of to, to start off thinking about the broader literature on money, I think it's interesting that there's a way in which this literature allows us to think not just about the relation between state and society, but also about ideas about individual exchange, ideas about social solidarity, reciprocity. But also there's another um, kind of branch of that literature that consider how money is a signifier. So how money indexes notions of class, notions of sort of senses of social anxiety, how it is transcribed through time, how it kind of shows the conflict between kind of a colonial and a post-colonial moment. And so I think all that literature in the context of Tunisia, which is not studied as much as kind of other other countries or other region where the study of money is more kind of present, I think allows me to almost think in terms of, I guess, scale and thinking about how sort of money is actually a way to trace individual relation, individual sense of self, but it kind of also allows us to consider other layers at play. So ideas about the state, ideas about communities when we're thinking about, for example, debt and credit and how that informs kind of, for example, the social fabric of a neighborhood or the social fabric of an entire area. So kind of in a way, money for me is a very kind of a generative a mapping tool almost that kind of makes me move across scales and across kind of forms of social relations. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website www.themagrebpodcast.com as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the Semat newsletter at www.sematmaghreb.org or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.